Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hedge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Do you know why I do that? I do that to make sure that uh, people understand that Ben and I are not the same person. I make him say hello. It works out very well. Right, Ben? It's not just Sammy with a voice box or some type of AI construct that mimics my scatterbrained and um, sometimes... Uh... Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sammy, you got to keep <laughs> typing. Or it doesn't keep talking. You you that's understand right. that's how it works, right? I know. Okay. But I will add, he's not, he is not my mouthpiece. I don't make him say whatever I want him to say. He I believe the word is puppet. Puppet, of course. Uh, and in fact, I will tell our dear listeners, Ben himself will tell our dear listeners where you can find his work. Ben, can you do that? The work that I have definitely written and was completely not constructed by an artificial intelligence can be found at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at driving.ca, uh, autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. See, totally different publications than Ben, which proves that we are two different people. Right? Science, science is indisputable when it comes to determining my personhood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. And we're going to start with your personhood because your person got yourself into an Italian sports sedan, right? That's right. You know, I had an interesting end of summer where I drove the M3, the M4, uh, with the, uh, the manual and the automatic, as we talked about on the previous two episodes. And then I kind of slid laterally to something that's the same but different in the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio, Sammy. Ooh, I... Well, hold on. I think we've talked about this car in the past, and I think I remember you saying it was kind of tame until you turn everything off, then it was definitely too wild, right? I haven't driven this car since 2017. Um, a little over four years ago is the last time I drove a quadrifoglio version of the Julia. And at the time, I remember, I, I distinctly remember not liking the car because it felt like the throttle was a little like an on off switch. Just kind mm -hmm. of a lot of turbo lag, and then all of a sudden that 2.9 liter V6 like roared into into action, and it was just like, whoa, what is happening? Why do I need all this torque right now? And the other issue was if you wanted to access like the full gamut of the vehicle's power uh, in terms of throttle response and exhaust noise and all that, I'm a big exhaust noise guy, pleasure sound, oral experience. Um, right. Performance sound pleasure thing. Yes. And... To do that, you had to put it in race mode. But if you put it in race, there's only four modes. So this is something I'll get into when we're talking about this car. But of the four Wait, modes, we're not. Are we not talking about this car right now? <laughs> no, this is this is meta. This is meta talking about the car. <laughs> this is the preamble. This is talking about the car. the car from four years ago. So oh, okay. <laughs> you put it in race mode, and it disables stability control and traction control. And interestingly enough, that's the only way to turn off stability control and traction control. So you have to go all out in the car if you want to really go all out there's there's no real granularity there so it, it was just kind of it felt kind of crazy to me like it was a wild experience <laughs> flash forward to now 2021 i'm a little older i'm definitely not what i was and uh are the, you wiser most people say older and wiser are you wiser probably not when it comes to alfa romeos <laughs> is the alfa romeo is the alfa romeo wiser i think it might be sammy because it definitely felt a lot tamer 
okay, it definitely felt tamer. I yeah, agree. and I don't mean tame as in like, okay, this sucks. I mean tame as in like, oh, I'm not going to die. <laughs> like it was, oh, it 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 had a a different character, uh, and I didn't drive it in the same like. Four years ago, I really had the car out on some country roads driving it hard. This time, I did not have that opportunity. It was mostly city and highway stuff, so it was a different kind of experience. But even when I floored it in race mode, it didn't feel completely crazy. So I just wanted to put that out there, uh, the A, B of my past experience and my current experience. And I think it's more... I've been wondering if maybe the alpha that I had back then was broken. (laughs) Because... (laughs) Because... Alfa Romeos are often broken. This is a car, car company that is at the bottom of every JD Power um, list when it comes to quality and initial satisfaction. It's just, okay. it's not a vehicle that's known for being reliable. And I didn't have any real problems with the car when I was driving it, but many people do. So that wouldn't have surprised me if in the past I drove a car that was maybe a little off. Uh, and that the one I'm driving now has been, I don't know if it's just been given a different kind of tune over the years from Alfa Romeo as they've listened to customer feedback or if it was just in better condition. Okay. Um, then, th- I mean, that's a common that's a common complaint. I've heard a lot of people, specifically, I think, talking about the Quadrifolio model that was more unreliable than some of the other ones. But I, I guess, you know, a personal experience varies all around. Yeah, and that's the um, thing. With Alfa, I think personal experience varies to a huge degree. So it's tough to get like a, a thirty thousand foot view of what the brand is doing. But give me, give me and the and the listeners a more general take on what to expect when you've got the the Quadrifolio model here. Okay, because so, when when you've got like the M3 and the M4, we kind of already know. We see them. We see BMWs kind of everywhere. Alphas are a little bit rarer, and this high-performance model might not be super apparent, right? It, it is very – it is much rarer. Although what's weird is the week that I had it, there was – I had a – mine was red with gold calipers, gold brake calipers, and parked one block from me on my own street was another red with gold caliper alpha. And then that same day, I was driving around, and I came across a third one. So I don't know if it was just uh, the Beider-Meinhof effect, but – it was it was definitely weird. But what's the best thing about the Alpha is what it looks like, Sammy. It looks fantastic. It is a very, very attractive vehicle. It mm-hmm. is a standout in a segment of sports sedans that are all kind of super buff looking with big muscular haunches and, and flared fenders and they're 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 large, imposing cars. And the Alpha is not any of those things. It is very lithe, it looks athletic, and it, it it's it's sculpted. It's 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 great car to look at. Uh, on the inside not so much. Like, it is not at the same level as a BMW or a Mercedes AMG in terms of interior accoutrement. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. But the infotainment is old school, to say the least, which is weird considering they're owned by Stellantis, which makes Uconnect, which is probably the best touchscreen system you can get out there. Um, so that's a little disappointing, but I did like how on the dashboard you have like a big analog tack and a big analog speedometer. There's none of this kind of let's push that stuff to the sidelines and put a whole bunch of like virtual gauges and controls and a, a big nav map in front of you. It's it's a car that knows that you're supposed to be driving when you're behind the driver's uh, the, 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 the in the driver's seat behind the steering yeah. wheel and I appreciated that about it. Okay, so then I mean I think the design is pretty attractive. It looks really it doesn't look like some sedans just look like like SUVs sometimes. Like, yeah, I don't know no, like a, like an SUV like, that's, they look, that's they lower. Look big man, they look big, and they sometimes all, there's a current trend of making that sport back kind of rear 
at rear haunch, and the alpha does not does not play that game, right? No, it's it's definitely um, a car that was designed to be a car. It does share a platform with an SUV, the Stelvio. But they, what's interesting is they don't really look anything alike. Like the front end looks the same, and that's it. And I yep. don't even mean like the A pillar to the front end looks the same. I just mean like the fascia up front looks the same. <laughs> okay, so then. I think the more, more interesting question then is what's under the hood. This is the car that – this is where this vehicle kind of like makes its name, right? Well, it's got a 2.9-liter twin-turbo V6. It's 505 horsepower and 443 pound-feet of torque. So if you're comparing it to the M cars that we talked about last month or, or I guess earlier this month actually, they – it has the same amount of horsepower as an M3, M4 competition – but a little bit less torque, like 30 pound-feet less. It's not a big deal. And it is as quick. It's like 0 to 60 in 3.5 seconds. It has an 8-speed ZF automatic, I believe. And that's the same as you would find in an M3 competition. So the cars are, like in a straight line, very, very similar in terms of end result. To get there, the Alpha feels more dramatic. Uh, it has a this weird thing where if you step on the gas when it's in race mode... It does like a triple blat out of the exhaust before it downshifts instead of, you know, what? crackling at the end. Yeah, it has like a like an early kind of blatting instead of a late crackle. Okay. Uh, it's, it's an interesting personality twitch. Um, it also has a chassis that doesn't seem to rely as much on electronic nannies or mechanical grip as the BMW does. Mm-hmm. It feels like the BMW feels super stable at all speeds. It never really feels playful. With the Alpha, the turn-in on the chassis is so natural and nice, even with electric power steering, that it's a car that really feels like it's kind of a co-conspirator with you when you're driving, and when you're driving quickly. Um, Whereas the BMW just kind of feels like a speed experience, something that we've talked about at length in previous podcasts. So different personality in that respect. Uh, I would say the Alpha is much more of a driver's car, probably as close to a driver's car as you can get. In this segment, the seventy-six, seventy-seven thousand dollars sports sedan luxury cars—that's pricey. Um, yeah, okay. well, it's the same price. It's like within like three grand of an M3, and, yeah, and since you, if you want the automatic M3, you have to pay another three grand, right? So you're right, kind of in that in that price. I mean, that always brings the the following question, right? That is, um, that is, what are you paying that much money for for that experience, or for all of the other things that come with that price tag? Because BMWs, they come with the fancy technology. They come with the beautiful screens, a, a digital dashboard. They have um, the fastest, like, dual-clutch trans... Or no, maybe there's no more dual-clutch no, no, anymore. No, no more but dual-clutch. They have those nannies that you talked about. They have every form of adaptive cruise control you can think of and lane-keeping and lane-centering and lane evaporation and, like, takeoff mode, uh, launch control. Lane-laser. Yeah, all sorts of things... That's what people – that's what I imagine people are starting to just help justify the $70,000 price tag. Well, when you talk about the uh, the Alfa Romeo, we're talking about the driving experience and only the driving experience yeah. because the rest of the cabin doesn't seem super high-end. The info, the technology – like the technology suite in the, in, in the cabin and even the safety features don't seem um, – 
I don't want to call. I, I, I don't. They don't well, seem competitive. Right I think the safety stage. features are fine. I didn't have an issue there. I mean, we're not just talking about the driving experience because it does look way better than an M3 or an M4. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is a much they, more attractive car. Uh, just in general, have two ginormous buck teeth. Buck no, teeth but not like, even that. Yeah. It's it's just a it's just a different kind of take on what a sedan should look like. Um, the, another big difference in driving the cars, though, and and again, kind of speaking to the uh, the. Alfa Romeo being as close to a driver's car as you can get in this segment. I mentioned that there's only four drive modes. And why I say that is, yeah, BMW has multiple drive modes too. And so does Mercedes-Benz. But all of those cars allow you to do some type of individual configuration. So if you wanted to, like the the M cars have the M buttons where you can, there's there's like hundreds, if not thousands of configurations when you start playing around with transmission settings versus because you can change the the rapidity and and stiffness of shifts in the automatic versions of the cars on on the bmws um you can change the way the stability control interacts you can change all sorts of the engine um personality there's a ton of stuff on the alpha you don't get any of that you get like regular dynamic race and eco and there's a it's like slow normal Fast and fastest. And, right? and like, there's the one concession, and you don't even have like a stability control remove button, right? Like the one concession it makes to configurability is in the middle of the dial that controls these drive modes, there's a suspension thing. Like it's like a, it's a suspension icon that you can push. So when you put it in dynamic, it stiffens the suspension. You push the suspension button and it goes away. So you can drive with like dynamic drivetrain, um, but soft suspension. But if you put it in race mode, it goes to race suspension. And then if you push the button once, it goes back to dynamic suspension. You can never you put it soft. You can't get the normal settings no. in race mode. Okay. No. So like that's as close as it gets. And how – like there are some cars that um, when you change those suspension settings or the drive modes, they don't feel like – maybe because there are like 10 different drive modes that you can sw- switch between. They don't feel like anything is really happening. And oh. I feel like the Alfa Romeo literally has a switch at each level, right? Like it – transforms oh yeah the, the the race mode is very different from every other drive mode it is a legit mode um you are going to notice a completely different personality from the car and it's one you're gonna have to you know be careful with uh this is unlike a lot of sports events a car that will let you color outside the lines and you can do that with tire smoke going sideways and leaving a trail of rubber behind you um, you just better have the talent you need to get the car back in line. It's not something that's going to correct itself. And it's it's far from dangerous. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's it's a vehicle that lets you do whatever you want with it. So you better know what you're doing. Okay. Um, what else is there about this? About Is it still competitive, right? Like that's the question I keep coming to. At $70,000, uh, 500 horsepower, and there are other high-tech vehicles around the market – is the personality enough to make the Alfa Romeo a desirable car? I think that visually it makes a really strong argument. Mm-hmm. I think the I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think the performance is comparable to a BMW. Yep, uh, I think it's comparable to a. I also want to. Put, I keep saying BMW because those are the cars I've been driving recently. But I, we we got to talk about Mercedes AMG because until I, I think in the next couple model years they're moving away from it. But this is the only car in its class that has a V8. Uh, the twin turbo three liter or the four liter? I can't remember. I want to say four liter. From from Mercedes? Yeah, in the C sixty three S. So it's a four liter. That is another entirely different driving experience from either of these cars. You have like the crazy rumble, you have a different type of torque. 
it's just car a, feels like a straight line missile. Like yeah, it really it's just a does. different feel. So yeah. I like the idea that in this segment, for about the same price, you uh, until you start adding options, obviously, because you can get ninety thousand dollars versions of each of these cars. Yeah. Um, although I think you can't get carbon ceramic brakes on the Alpha anymore, which is great because I didn't like them the first time I drove them, and I don't think this model had oh. them. Do you want to spend more on your brakes after you've spent more on your brakes? Exactly. That's what Alfa Romeo. That's what carbon <laughs> ceramic brakes are for. Pretty much. So. Uh, it's it's cool that you have these three distinctly different experiences and distinctly different looks. And interiors are all really different, too. Like, it's it's rare. You were talking about how everything looks like an SUV. And then you start getting in the SUV world and you start to see vehicles that are essentially slightly different from each other or maybe not different from each other at all, just wearing yeah. different badges. And th- that isn't the case here. And I think that's to be applauded. Okay. But then you made it. You, you've, you've brought up the C-Class. Am I mistaken? Is there an all-wheel drive version of the C-Class at some point? That or I don't that... know. I mean, the BMW offers it for 2022 in the M3. And, yeah, and BMW is going to get an all-wheel drive version. Then we've also got like R, like S models, and I guess RS models. I don't know yeah. if there's an RS4. Um, you've got these high-performance um, vehicles with all-wheel drive, and Alpha does not have that. Um, I guess there's also going to be a, uh, a V8-powered version of the Lexus IS eventually, the IS500. Oh, it's out now. Oh yeah, there it is, yeah. and that's another car with pers- that might have some personality too. So maybe we're we're talking about honestly, sports sedans are among my favorite class of vehicles, especially because of the variability between them and the amount of like automaker. I used to think it was passion. Now I don't. Now I don't think so anymore. I think they just jam their cars with whatever they've got. Um, but to me, the the Alpha seems like the most passionate car like it seems like the car that they they really wanted to execute on one part of the vehicle the best the best they could and i think they did and also you know alpha only has two cars in its entire north american lineup they're both the 4c gone oh yeah it's it's just the stelvio and the and the julios julia so like this is kind of all they have going on yeah it's not surprising that they put a lot of effort into it although i mean it, how do you recommend a car that has such a terrible reputation for reliability? Well, you're not. We're not recommending anything, right? Like I, we're I just ex- we're just expressing our your experience with it. Um, whether or not someone would grab, um, they have to be confident with with their dealer network. How often they'd be seeing it, how much they'd be willing to spend on repairs or anything like that. Um, and then talking about their lineup. Can't you imagine a two-door version of this car? Wouldn't that be awesome looking? I think they do offer a two-door version in Europe. I want to say there's a wow. two-door, two-door version, not of the Julia, but of this platform. Okay. But that I'm not 100% perfect. sure on. Wouldn't that be perfect? I guess so. I, I don't have a problem with the four-door, though. Are you saying that if you get a two-door, then only only one of your friends will be mad at you when you're stranded on the side of the road? You have an Alfa Romeo, though. They're going to be mad at you. Yeah, they're going to be mad at you regardless. On the so it's the called the GTV. Ooh. And I don't think it was ever built. Um, they were supposed what does to, that mean? They were supposed to build it on the Julia platform, but oh. apparently now it's going to become uh, an electric vehicle, a four-door electric vehicle. So, so of, course, of course. Wait, time out. They introduced a car called the GTV. No, they never introduced be... it. Okay, they... they... They, they rumored it? Like, what happened? It was, like, heavily rumored to exist. Heavily rumored was going to be a two-door version of the Alfa Romeo uh, Julia. Then, pi- hard pivot into a four-door electric car. 
Because what happened was Alpha as a brand in North America just tanked, right? Like no one was really buying them. So they had all these plans. And what happened with those plans is they evaporated and slowly their lineup is just kind of, you know, that's why it's been whittled down just these two models. They're not really in a position to put like we talk about how Stellantis doesn't have any money to develop new vehicles. So they have little little money to do what they need to do across all their brands. So it's not surprising that a slow seller like the GTV got the axe. I I don't know. Do you have high hopes for Alfa Romeo? Do you think this no, is going to? Not at all. You don't think this is going to happen? Any? They've they've also shown a concept car that they said was going to happen called the Tonali or the Tonal Tonal <laughs> Tonali, I think it is, which is supposed to be a compact SUV, something that compares to like a BMW X1 or X2. So like the GMC Tonali. <laughs> is that what? It, is that another vehicle? No. Oh, okay. it's, it's a joke about Denali, but I guess it was Oh, yeah, sorry. It did go... That went right over my head. I'm sure everyone else is going to be laughing at that and at me now. No. Um, but this was supposed to come out this year or something, and I haven't heard anything about this yet. No, I think that this is a brand that they do not know what to do with. I think they didn't get the customer reception that they wanted to get, mm-hmm. and they just are kind of in a holding pattern with these cars that are too new to scrap, but not really profitable enough to update. This is FCA's problem with a lot of its cars. With the exception of Jeep and Ram, they seem to be having some problems. Because they also have, isn't Maserati a part of their portfolio and they're not doing anything with that? Isn't Fiat a part of their portfolio? They're not doing anything with that. Well, they're do, I mean, they're slowly closing Fiat dealerships across the United States. <laughs> okay, great. Um, and this seems really, like, ominous. I, I don't know what to say about it. Maybe, you know, globally, those, those nameplates might have a little bit more uh, weight, but in North America, it seems like we're going to just be getting Jeeps and Rams until we're sick and tired. And ancient um, uh, Challenger and Charger platform vehicles until these electric vehicles that they tease come out. So I, that's kind of, that kind of wraps up my feelings about the Alpha. It's, it's, it's an interesting car, and I'm all for interesting cars. Hard to recommend because of reliability. Interesting to drive as well uh, as to look at. And definitely individualistic unless you live on my block, in which case you're going to have to deal with that dude who has the exact same car you do. <laughs> Three times on your block. Three times on my block. Um, I liked it. I, I, I really do think it's interesting to have a car compete at the, at the price point of others with having nothing but a wicked-sounding engine, a really impressive driving experience, and a beautiful car. I mean, that what is What more do pure. you need? I mean, everything That's else pure. is extraneous, right? That's right, but you would hope to pay less for that, right? <laughs> um, okay, so then let's pivot into a, a, an exciting vehicle for other reasons that I drove, the 2022 Honda Civic. Um, this is an important vehicle. There's a bajillion Civic sold all over the country every day, and, uh, and this is a brand new model with a new platform, a longer wheelbase, uh, a, a different design language inside and out, and, um, buddy, this is pretty decent. This is, like, surprisingly good. So is this a new, totally new platform, or is it an update of an old platform, or what's the deal? I don't have the details on just how new the platform is, but I do know that it has a different, a, a different platform and a longer wheelbase, which gives the Civic a totally, uh, like, a far more refined driving experience. In fact, there's something good and bad about this vehicle in terms of just how smooth and comfortable it is to drive. It feels like an Accord in the best way, right? Like, the Accord is one of the better vehicles in its segment, but when you take a compact car and make it feel bigger, 
you take away a lot of the fun that used to be available in in compact cars, you know, like little like I don't know, edginess, right? And this vehicle doesn't have that edginess. It has a very mature uh, sensibility to it. It's very, very refined. Uh, and I was really surprised about this. And this comes from somebody who found the last generation Civic to be a very big leap and um, impressive in its class all the way till this redesign. It just blows my mind that they were able to make yet another leap with their vehicle. So I just looked at the wheelbase. Did you, did you say that it was bigger than the past version of the Honda Accord? Uh, it is apparently bigger. No, not the Accord than the old Civic. No, it is but, bigger than the past version of the Honda Accord. Like some what? versions, some versions of the. So the 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 um, current Civic has a 107 inch wheelbase, and mm-hmm. I think if you go back to uh, yeah here 2010. we go. No, uh, well 1998, the okay. end of the 90s. It's <laughs> it's as big as an Accord was in the 90s. Okay, which is pretty wild, I think. Yeah. I mean, it does, it feels, it drives like a far more grown-up vehicle. I think that's an impressive thing that Honda has has accomplished with this vehicle. And for a vehicle that can start at $21,000, that's pretty good. And the model I had... Sorry to interrupt you. I'm still looking at these. Actually, if you go back to 2008, it's bigger than, it's two inches longer than an an Accord from 2008's wheelbase. Yeah, that's... Not a comp like to me. That's we're no longer talking compact cars. Anymore. No, definitely not. I mean, what fits in underneath the Civic though? Because Honda doesn't have a subcompact. No. Didn't they end the fit? Yeah, they foolishly ended the fit in North America. It's it looks really cool in other markets. I think in Asian markets it looks really nice. Um, and I think they're trying to make the HRV or I think it's called the Vessel in different markets. Vessel. I think. I don't. Um, know. I mean, it's fun to say. And that's their subcomp. Their small car, but I mean. It doesn't like if you've driven an HRV, the tra- the experience does not translate. The experience of the Civic and even the Fit does not translate. No, to it's HRV. it's very heavy. How did they pull that off? How did they mess that up so badly? Maybe in terms just... of driving dynamics, in terms in terms of enjoyability, in terms of maturity, from those cars to that SUV, I think they flopped really hard. But now we're driving the Civic. And it feels so much more mature, so good in every. It might be maybe the HRV's all-wheel drive system is very heavy. I guess so. I I guess so. And that powertrain just didn't do it any favors. And I should mention the powertrain is probably is is a carryover in the new Civic. It's a 1.5 liter turbo in the top in the top models that makes uh, 180 horsepower, um, which is fine. But it has a CVT, which sounds like it sounds awful. It sounds like really bad. you're saying the CVT affects the exhaust noise? No, but I mean the motor and the way that the, the CVT sort of like triggers that engine just uh, yeah. never sounds great in any way or form. It sounds like a vehicle that hates to be driven. And I think <laughs> Maz, I think Mazda as well has this issue with their with their naturally aspirated engines. Sometimes they feel a little like, please don't do this. Um, <laughs> Are you sure you want to go up this hill this quickly? Yeah, but other – I mean – in it. With the exception of them sounding like they're they're hesitating, the car performs like it really does. It does zero to sixty in like seven seconds or something like that, which is pretty okay for a for a compact car. Can can you still get a manual transmission? No, no. Okay, you That's want just, one? Well, is I'm that saying the Civic used to be offered with one, so I thought I would ask. Uh, no, no manual. It's CVTs all the way around. So you can still get. You can also get a two liter naturally aspirated motor, right? Yeah, in the in the Bottom two levels, and the that's LX. 
and the uh, I think the sport and that's twenty two horsepower less. Yeah, okay. not. I wouldn't recommend that. I don't think we don't really. Do you ever get? Have you ever gotten one of these non one point five liter turbo? No, today? I can't remember the last time I drove that two liter four. Like honestly, <laughs> I wonder what the price difference is um, for the upgrade because you just don't see them out there in the fleets. Yeah, and you don't see them very often in the in the wild either. I well, I don't know. I mean, models. how do you? They have a turbo badge on them. Yeah, but yeah, but everyone has that badge. I mean, I have that badge on every one of my cars. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, we do have just uh, buckets of these. <laughs> I have that badge and a whale tail on all of my cars. <laughs> Stickers. I have it on my Subaru Outback. You have it. I have it on my computer. I have two on my Subaru. Yeah. <laughs> so people know coming and going that it's turbo. <laughs> it's not turbo though. So don't um, try to, don't try to race me, bro. <laughs> There's a couple of interesting things that I found about the about the performance of the vehicle. Um, my model was outfitted with sport branded all seasons. I don't know if that means they're high performance all seasons or anything. With sport but branded, what does that mean? They just like Eagles, Goodyear Eagle Sports. Okay, yeah. um, and they're surprisingly wide: two thirty-five, uh, forty eight, uh, and R eighteens on eighteen inch wheels. Two forty-five, forties. Two thirty, thirty-five. Two thirty. That is almost the same size as the factory tire on my CTSB. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? That's yeah. pretty that's pretty. I think weird. they're like two forty five thirty fives or something. It's bigger than my FRS, that's for sure. Right? But, you like, know, all these tires I have so I've been doing some tire riding lately in in for various various clients. Yeah, and t- um, take us behind the curtain here of this tire. Well, no, I, it's not really behind the curtain. I just want to say that, you know, like every tire out there has some kind of sport thing on it, right? Like you never see <laughs> you never see a tire that's like leisure branded. Like yeah, Goodyear okay. Eagle Leisure. Like this tire <laughs> is good for a casual touring, right? Touring or, have... no, they do have touring tires, that's right. Yeah. But it's like like a casual commute, you know? Or like yes. a like a, you can drive and then you need to take a break <laughs> kind of deal. Um it's it's like you either see tires that are sport branded or the other extreme, which is where they yes. just don't care. They're like those tires that come from like like the very low end import market where it's just like an incomprehensible word paired with another incomprehensible word and then a number. And it's they There's just one. It's like black diamond or something like that. Or triangle. Isn't the one one triangle. brand known as triangle? Don't buy something? a triangle tire if you want a <laughs> smooth ride. <laughs> Uh, and then sometimes they like combine like a an, uh, a phrase and a and a not a phrase a an adjective and an animal like uh, like uh, like spider aggression. Yes, yes, yeah. like that. Like yes, or like spider. squirrel grip. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they they climb trees, but yeah, it's yeah. there's a lot of tire branding is so strange. It's just there's, there's only extremes. There's really no only those touring tires occupy the middle ground, and even that is vague. And no, but then you also have these really weird low rolling resistance tires that don't do like anything they're supposed to except for go straight. And those are always they always have energy in the name. Yeah, sorry, yeah, like Enermax or, or Eco, I guess Eco Ener. And you're like, Eco what? Enter-Max, yes, <laughs> I'd like to buy a consonant. <laughs> but yeah, does that why do those wide tires like they? The, first of all, wider tires like that um, will add a tiny bit to that that refined feeling on the road and truly this car does hold, handle surprisingly well. It sticks to the road nicely. Um, that CVT allows the car to get up and going pretty quickly. Um, and it handles it, it composed, it's composed pretty nicely, um, on the highway. So I was impressed with the performance of this car for a vehicle that tops out at under $30,000. Currently, I, I don't know what the price will be like once the SI model comes. And if a future, um, um, type R model comes on, 
But they've built themselves a decent platform to do all of this with. And then we should talk about the interior, which has also been... Look, I mean, I didn't think that quality was an issue at Honda, but they definitely <laughs> seem to try... They, like, it's almost as if they took offense at what their old vehicle's interior was like and revamped it completely. All of the buttons feel pretty solid. There are a, a lot of tactile... Um, knobs for like uh, HVAC settings and volume. Well, that's a big difference for Honda, which was obsessed for a long time with um, those weird track pads for volume. Yeah, yeah. Or no volume control at all. It was on the screen at one point, I think. It was like a slider on the screen, just like you mentioned. Completely useless. And we don't have that anymore. In fact, the, the gauge cluster and the infotainment screen borrows heavily from the layout and design of what's found in the Accord, which is a good thing. It, it, th- those are really strong systems. Um, and they've revamped this in this dashboard. Uh, it looks like a cheese grater, like a mesh grill. Wait, I what? guess. <laughs> I don't. Know I don't want. Driving. Why would I want a cheese grater directly in front of my face while I was driving? Like that seems. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna. I, I need to send you a photo of what the what the interior. Send looks me a like. photo of your face before and after encountering the cheese grater <laughs> dashboard. Here, I sent you one. Do you see this like mesh? Like it's kind of like an old school uh, electric razor. If you want to kind of picture it that way (laughs) yes it is like a foil right what could get like i'm looking at this right now and it it legitimately does look like a pierced foil kind of thing what gets behind that and you can't clean that right like that's gonna fill with dead skin and parasites and like your one fingernails from being really unhappy with what's going on Yeah, you're gonna hit the brakes suddenly one day and it's gonna puff out at you like in this (laughs) like cloud of disgusting human dust <laughs> and then I you can't see it in the photo that I sent you but the the knobs or the little like toggles to control the vents are surprisingly large like they're like they point out there pretty far pretty far out um and I also add that this car has a very obscure location for its trunk re- trunk release you have to like contort your hand and wrist a couple of ways just to get to it really uncomfortable really silly Wait, and then why, where is it how, how how obscure can it be so usually you th- it, it is on the it is on the door panel ahead of the handle and be- and behind the the dashboard essentially i have a question for you can you pop the trunk with the car running i don't know i haven't tried it why why i think so at least in park so my my personal pet peeve now is vehicles that won't especially suvs that won't let you pop the trunk or hatch while the vehicle is running and in here or moving no not moving <laughs> i'm not doing a drive by i mean <laughs> when like Let's say I've pulled over to the side of the road and I want to drop someone off and they have a bag in the trunk. Yeah. A lot of the time now I have to turn off the car to be able to pop the trunk. I have to – usually I expect to put it into into park. Yeah, I'm in park and it won't, still won't let me do it. There are some oh, models where I, I'm locked out of popping the trunk. And there are further models where I can't find the trunk release and I have to use the uh, key fob. And oh, yeah, use, that's so weird. To use the key fob, I have to turn the vehicle off. You can't use it inside the car or something like it's that. It's so annoying. It is inconvenient. And it's not safe because if I'm dropping someone off on the side of the road, my door is facing traffic. So that means I have sure. to get out of the vehicle maybe to pop it. I don't know what's happening. Um, I'll also add that the heated steering wheel button on our touring model is at the uh, the center spoke, the bottom center. It's right in the middle of the bottom center spoke. It looks really goofy. Um, I don't like that. It's not very well integrated as opposed to the rest of the controls, which are smartly designed and well well put. And there's this thing that I think I've, to- I've mentioned before on the podcast, displays inside HVAC knobs. I love this. It's my favorite thing. I like, do not like this. I'm, you I don't am like anti this? this? No. 
I think it's cool. <laughs> I think I like seeing how because it removes the like. First of all, I guess it removes the little like uh, indentations on the on the dash, and it. I just I just think it looks good. No, Why not. don't you like it? Because I want to see the controls. I don't want to have to do something else to see the controls. Those controls are hidden until oh, you... Oh, no, no, no. This is not like the Defender secret menu for the... Well, then what is it? Because that's how it sounds. <laughs> no, it, it is basically in the in the face of the knob, it's the, it's the fan speed, essentially. So you see the little, like, uh, the iconography for it, those, like, increasingly sized trapezoids. I don't know how else to describe it. Okay. I've never had to before. I hope you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to pretend that I do. <laughs> You're such a jerk. Or inside the HVAC one, the temperature controls, it says the, the number, the temperature degree that you're set. So you just turn the dial and that that number changes accordingly. Okay. That's and different. it's lit up. I love it. I thought it was the one where you have to like interact with it. So like you turn it one time, it does one thing, then you push yeah. it and turn it and it does another thing. Like yeah, heated seeds are hidden defender. inside of it. This is the, the Defender all over again yeah. with that secret menu that it has. Not a piece. Um, I agree with you. So, and then I need to add one more thing. The, um, one of the problems I had in previous Honda products was an overly sensitive and not reassuring suite of safety equipment, um, especially when it comes to uh, forward collision warning. This car used to panic all the time, and that put you on edge um, as well. It used to light up this little orange light that would say break, even though there's nothing happening particularly dangerous in front of you. Um, and I didn't think that there... In the past, I didn't think their lane keeping and adaptive cruise control were, were that impressive at all. I used to ping pong um, between lines. Now I'm getting much more feedback, much better feedback from the um, adaptive cruise control system. It reminds me of how BMWs works, where it tells you that it sees things in front of you or beside you. It also points out that it can see it can see the lane markings on the road. Even if there's just one lane marking, like in a curb next to you, it points out that it sees that one cur- lane marking, um, and it even curves on the dash, like on the gauge cluster, to show that it knows that there's a turn up ahead. So it seems like there's a lot of, uh, like there's a bit of a communication feedback loop between the driver and the system, so you won't be, you or it won't be caught um, unaware. Or you can so also just look out the windshield, right? Like that's a- you could, of course. Yeah. That's an underrated um, way to drive a car. I agree. I mean, yeah. Who's looking out the windshield these days? Come on, man. Maybe if you've got an Alfa Romeo. Maybe if you're stuff, trying to prove sh- some kind of point. <laughs> you've got nothing else to look look at in your Alfa Romeo. Um, I think I, I'm impressed. I'm looking forward to to test driving it. I have lined it up with some comparisons in, in the next few weeks. Um, but I truly think that only the Elantra has... The Elantra and the Mazda 3 are the only models that have a chance here. And I, even then, I think that the Civic feels like a more premium product. And that's the way this, this sedan market has been going. And even for a product that's under thirty grand um, at, the t- at the fully loaded mark, I think it's a really good place to be. I don't see why somebody would, would gloss over this product. So you're saying a car like the Corolla just isn't kind of – doesn't cut it anymore. See, that, that's my other problem. Is, and we should talk about this maybe in another podcast. But like compact cars – like the concept of uh, of compact cars has disappeared. This this Civic is an Accord. Like that's the best way to call it. And um, other products like this, they've just removed the small part of the compact car. And I think that the Corolla can still be appealing to people who want a small car and truly want a small car. Um, 
so, and they don't care about rear seat or 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 cargo space. They just want something that's small and feels like a small car. Yeah. And the the new Civic doesn't have that feeling. Fair enough. Fair enough. Isn't that weird though? Like we have. I guess we've grown up in our marketplace to to tell people that the more car, the better. And that more can come in so many different ways. It can come in horsepower, it can come in technology, it can come in size and space. And yeah, and, and, I think- but I think also, you know, companies have clued into the fact that they can charge more for a larger vehicle and there's more profit to be made there. Like the people but- who are in the market for a smaller car are typically shopping at a lower price point and they're just not interested. But I mean, this thing still starts at 21 grand. No, I know, but in general, I guess is what I'm saying. True. Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about this week? No, I think I think that exhausts uh, exhausts my um, pile of. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> you got the We melted your brain. Yeah. I, I also like the exhaust pun here today. That was well done. I don't know how you glossed over that, or if you did that on purpose. Um, so I'll take over for the closing ceremony since Ben is currently melted himself to death. Um, if Doing my best. Listen, if you want to listen to more of our podcast, it's very easy to find out more episodes. You just go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, um, and you can find images of the car that we cars that we drove. You can find past episodes. You can find links to stories that we've written about these cars. Um, and you can even subscribe to our podcast through some buttons on our website or, you know, the easy way is to just go on your podcast client, search for the unnamed automotive podcast and subscribe to us there. I will ask that, um, you leave us a review or two or something like that. Um, reviews help other people find our podcast. They also provide us with feedback. Ben and I are suckers for feedback. We love feedback. Is- I'm, I'm thinking about feedback right now. Yes, um, and they help, it helps us get better. It helps us know what you guys like listening to and what you don't like listening to. Um, and additionally, if you don't want to leave us a review, you want to get in touch with us personally, you can do that pretty easily too. You can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can go to the contact form. You fill that out. And uh, believe it or not, that, that all, everything that you write there lands in our inbox. We read it, and uh, we pass it between each, one another, and we giggle like uh, we're in high school. All day I dream about feedback. <laughs> additionally you can email us the old-fashioned way it's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com um or you can reach out to us on social media you can find ben on instagram he's at hunting benjamin and you can find me on twitter i'm at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing now one more thing before i close up this week's episode we do have a little way for you guys to support us if you want to. You leave us a little tip. It's called Ko-Fi, K-O-F-I. Um, and you can leave us a little tip, ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. And one last thing I wanted to mention is uh, up here in Canada, we deal with a lot of uh, PR people who are, you know, their job is to be nice to us professionally and provide us with the vehicles that we talk to you guys about every week. And one of those, Christine Hollander, she's uh, been working with Ford for a very long time since I started in this business and she is retiring um, this fall. So I just wanted to say thank you, Christine, for everything that you've done over the years. And you're going to have a great retirement filled with a lot of uh, Mustang racing. I'm sure. And uh, yeah, just thank you for, for all of your help. Absolutely. Thank you, Christine. And thank you to our listeners for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye. 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 Why won't you say bye, Ben?